There are many things that we cannot do without the proper authority. Let me give you a few examples. If I get frustrated by people driving too fast on perimeter road and I decide to do something about it, let's say I take my Dodge truck, Ram Tough, to the garage nearby and say, hey fellas, wrap this with Valdosta Police Department. Put me some sirens on top. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna make me a little CD with bad boys, bad boys. What you gonna do? What you gonna do when Brian comes for you? And I'm gonna have it ready to be on go and I'm gonna find me a good hiding spot on perimeter road so that when people speed past, whoop, whoop, here I come. I'm gonna pull behind with my theme music and I'm gonna step out, license registration, and I'm gonna issue homemade tickets. Now, I could do that, but not for very long because the proper authorities would come and they would arrest me for impersonating an officer and they would put me in jail. Why? Because I don't have the proper authority. Or if I were to go to a ball game, let's say here in town on a Saturday to watch the Blazers play. I picked the Blazers because we can all have the Blazers in common here, right? I go watch the Blazers play and we get frustrated because the referees aren't doing their job officiating the game as we think they should. So I said, I'm gonna take care of this. So I go down below and I change shirts and I put on a striped polo and I put on a white cap and I get some flags and I have a whistle and I go out onto the field and I begin just throwing penalty flags everywhere, blowing the whistle. Well, the student crowd, the student group loves it. They begin to cheer for me, but law enforcement, what are they gonna do? They're gonna send that guy who uh, misses his glory days and he's gonna come, he's gonna tackle me and he's gonna lead me out of the stadium. Why? Because I do not have the proper authority to be a referee and officiate the game in that moment. Lastly, I get frustrated because of the crime that's happening here in this county. So I go to the county court and I'm dressed in my black robe and I bust through the doors and I say, order, order in the courtroom. Because if I were a judge, that's how I'd talk. <laughs> Only because I saw it on TV once. All of a sudden, the man in uniform standing beside the real judge would come and tackle me and take me out of the court, bringing order into the court. Why? Because I don't have proper authority to do those things. When we come to the scriptures, Jesus is standing in the temple in the middle of the feast. Remember we said this is the Feast of Booths? So they're celebrating how God brought them through the wilderness, that is the Jews celebrating. Jesus comes to the temple right in the middle of everyone and he begins to teach. But yet people think that he doesn't have the proper authority. But they cannot deny that what he is teaching is some of the best teaching they've ever heard. He is a good teacher. He's so skilled. It baffles them. But just because they marveled doesn't mean that they were convinced. And just because they were moved doesn't mean they were changed. And so we pick up here in the middle of the feast. Remember, Jesus told his brothers, you go up to the feast. I'm not going up to the feast for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. But after his brothers had gone up to the feast, then he went up, not publicly, but in private. And we made this point last week that Christ is not intimidated 
by worldly man's wickedness. And the Jews were seeking to kill him. So Jesus goes privately up to Judea, to Judea, but he goes with power. So what if Jesus would have gone up with his brothers? What if he would have gone on public display? Well, it could have caused a premature triumphal entry. Instead, he goes in private. And with the kingdom authority, he goes into the temple and he begins to teach. And there's no better guest speaker than Jesus. Maybe he spoke at length upon the different aspects and relations of the feast itself to bring better understanding of why they're there celebrating. But the question soon arises, how is this man so educated? How is he so educated? How is it that this man has learning? Grama is the word learning, where we get our word grammar. How does he know letters? How does he know this word? He's never studied, right? When I was in college, one of my roommates had a photographic memory, which means that that was like cheating (laughs) for guys like me who had to study all week long. But I watched him. He would wake up early in the morning before we went to class. We had the same class. And he would just open up the book and he'd just study for 30 minutes. And then he'd go ace the test. Well, I thought, you know what? I'm tired of this studying all week long. Because that's what I did. So I said, I'm going to practice a photographic memory. So I went about it the same way he did. Next test, he got an A, I got an F. Why? because my memory was not so photographic, or at least I didn't photograph enough information for the test. What about Jesus? Jesus, just good at studying. Has he found the way to retain information so that when he speaks, people are wowed by him? No. He didn't need to study. You wouldn't find him at the rabbinical school of learning. You wouldn't go into his woodworking shop and find any seminary degrees hanging on the wall. Why? Because he wrote all the material. He is the word himself. Come and living among us. He knows all things. And by the way, this was not the first crowd that was wowed by Jesus. When he was 12 years old, he was teaching. Luke 2, 46 and 47. After three days, that is his parents looking for him, after three days found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. Even at age 12, they're amazed at what Jesus knows about God. Because he is God in the flesh. But they don't know that. And there was nothing that these Jews could teach Jesus but they had everything to learn from him. There's nothing that we can teach Jesus, but we have everything to learn from him. So number one, trust in the one with kingdom authority by receiving God's word. By receiving God's word. Not only did he teach, but he taught with authority. He wasn't just a good teacher. 
He was authoritative in his approach. And at the closing of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 7, 28 and 29, when Jesus finished saying these things, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority and not as their scribes. So the scribes, they were known for their teaching, but they did not teach with authority. They did not teach with power. They were not convincing, but Jesus was different. Here's the question. Would they trust in the one with kingdom authority? Would they trust in him? And how does Jesus respond to their questioning? He responds with humility. Wow. We have so much to learn from Jesus. Instead of getting angry with them and their lack of faith and understanding, he responds with humility by saying, my teaching is not mine, but his who sent me. He's saying something special here and they still don't get it. He's saying this teaching is, is from the Father. He's telling these men, you've learned from all your rabbinical fathers. I've learned from the heavenly Father, meaning I have fellowship with my Father. Together, we are in this mission. He has sent me. I am here to teach you. I'm here to declare the way is through me to the Father. May I pause here and just say that this is an example of everyone who desires to teach. Everyone who desires to be a teacher and everyone that's teaching currently, please listen into this. Teaching is not for our own glory. It's not so that people go, man, you are really good. You're a really good teacher. Man, you really know the scripture. Man, you're dynamite. I could just sit and listen to you all day long. Encouragement is good, but as we teach, it's not for our own glory. Jesus, he teaches the scripture. He stayed with the doctrine. Scripture, singular, not plural. The one true authoritative doctrine that we wrestle with. As we come together as the church, if you haven't noticed, what we are fully convinced of is that we preach from the Bible. We open it up, we go verse by verse, and we let the Scripture speak. I'm sure there are times as people come in, they say, man, I really wish they would do a nice topical sermon on helping our marriage, helping our family, helping us in business, how to have great success. All of that is foolishness if we don't go to the scriptures first. So if you want that, that's not going to be here. Because what we're convinced of is that the scripture speaks into our life and changes our families. It changes us. It changes our workplace. Amen? Really passionate about that. Why? Because we have such a gift with the Bible. And Jesus is the word standing before man and he's teaching the scripture. And they're going, this is amazing. But can he be trusted? He stayed with the doctrine. As Paul would encourage Timothy in 1 Timothy 4.16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. 
persist in this, for by so doing you will save both yourself and your hearers. I want you to know that that's a firm conviction of the pastors here at Perimeter Road, that we teach the scripture, that we persist in the scripture, and that by so doing that, we will save ourselves and you, meaning that we'll remain with Christ as we understand the word of God. They would trust in the one with kingdom authority if their heart was truly for the Lord. And we will trust in the one with kingdom authority if our heart is truly for the Lord. If anyone's will is to do God's will, he will know whether the teaching is from God or whether I'm speaking of my own authority. What is Jesus doing right here? He's revealing the heart. And the heart of the matter is this, that what's going on in the heart matters. What's going on in your heart right now matters. It's significant. A.W. Pink says this, the fundamental condition for obtaining spiritual knowledge is a genuine heart desire to carry out the revealed will of God in our lives. Spiritual intelligence comes not through the intellect, but via the heart. It is acquired not by force of reasoning, but by the exercise of faith. So we read Hebrews 11.3, by faith we understand. In order for us to have faith, we must have a soft heart. Because if we do not have a soft heart and we do not believe, then unbelief leads to misunderstanding when our thinking and reasoning are not centered upon Jesus Christ. Everything you do in life ought to be centered on Jesus. Everything you do in life ought to be centered on Jesus Christ. And if it hits your mind and you think, that sounds foolish, that sounds unrealistic, then right there is unbelief in your heart. Why? Because as he made us, we glorify and worship the Father. And in everything we do in our worship and in our living is done through Jesus Christ. As Clint prayed earlier, it's his righteousness upon us. And so, Jesus continues, the one who speaks of his own authority seeks his own glory, but the one who seeks the glory of him who sent him is true. And in him, there's no falsehood. There's no falsehood, meaning that there's no act that violates the standard of righteousness. In Jesus, there was no act that violated the standard of righteousness. That's why we trust in Jesus. That's why everything we do is centered upon Christ. You and me, on the other hand, we are serial offenders against God. I love that also uh, in the prayer that even in our best day, if we were to stand before God, may we be judged to the hottest pit of hell. Because even in our best day, we are serial offenders against a holy, good, loving, righteous God. Jesus is saying, if you only see and listen then you will know that in me there's no falsehood. They only see, they only listen, that they will see that this man has 
kingdom authority. For his kingdom is not of this world. So he is coming with a type of power and authority they've never seen and beheld before. Here's another practice. Observe through time what the word does to the communicator. Observe through time what the word of God does to me as I stand before you every week. Observe through time what the word of God does to your community group teacher who stands before you and teaches every week. Listen to what they say. Listen to how they teach the scriptures. Do they ever take you to the scriptures? Do you ever get to the Bible? Do they do so in a boastful way or do they do so with humility? What's their attitude in approaching the scriptures? Observe the communicator. See what the word of God does to the communicator. Because in Jesus, as they observed him, they noticed there's something different. He has authority. But humility. Paul would later go on to say in 2 Corinthians 4, 5, for what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ is Lord with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. So here's a question for all of us this morning. Is the general trend of our ministry, behold me? Look at me, look at what I'm doing, hear about my life, hear my wisdom, let me bestow teaching upon you, come from my experience? Are we gathering together based on our own experiences alone? Behold me. Or is the general trend of our ministry, behold the church? Man, our church is awesome. Our church is good. Our church isn't like all those other places. Man, we love our church. And that's good to be thankful, to be glad to come in. But saying that we behold the church is like the bride just constantly looking at herself in the mirror and never wanting to walk down the aisle and being with the groom. Or is the general trend of our ministry, behold the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb of God. Behold Jesus. We were saying today in our community group, why do we need each other? Why do we need to form community? Because there are going to be moments when we're weak. There are going to be moments of tragedy. Moments of hurt. Pain and suffering. And we will say things just like this. I am angry at God. I'm angry at him. And what we do as the church is we gather around a brother or sister in Christ who is making that statement because they're in the pit of despair and emotional turmoil. And in that moment, they are speaking freshly what's in their heart. But we do not want them to continue with that line of thought and reasoning. I'm angry with God. Because for any human being to say that they are angry with God is saying that I know more than you, God. God, you're not right. God, how could you? 
And that's where we as the church come around. And, and I made this statement, and I still believe it. The first thing when you gather around someone who's suffering is you just don't go speaking truth to them in that moment. Well, you know what God says? You wrap your arms around them. You love them. You pray with them. And then you be patient for the opportunity to teach the truth. What do we do in those moments? We behold the Lamb of God. We behold the Lamb of God. The one with true authority. The one with true power. We don't abandon those who are neglecting to behold the Lamb of God in the midst of suffering. We surround them and love them. You get it? And we behold the Lamb of God. So then they get into conversation about Moses. Jesus says, none of you keeps the law because you're seeking to kill me. You want to kill me. Number two, trust in the one with kingdom authority by relying on God's work. Only Jesus keeps the law. He's the only one standing among them who could keep the law. The only one who could do what is right. He's the only good human being, God in the flesh that's ever lived where God would look upon someone and say, you are good. Jesus, God in the flesh, was the only one who was good. And he did a good work. But he looks at them, he says, none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? Jesus loved to turn the tables on the Jews. I mean, he physically did it in the temple, and now here he's doing it in a spiritual conversation because they're rushing to kill Jesus. And as they rushed to kill Jesus, this would indeed be murder, them breaking the law. And unfortunately for many, the desire to murder Jesus would only grow stronger in their hearts as we continue in the book of John. And so they respond and they say, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Let's be clear on this. The one with kingdom authority is not controlled by demons. No. Instead of Jesus naming names, he chooses to address the point of tension. And he talks about circumcision versus full body healing, which would be a whole message in itself. Let me just summarize it this way. He's saying, you are so particular with circumcision, and yet I heal a whole man's body on the Sabbath, and you have a problem with me? The problem is not that I healed that man. The problem is with me, isn't it? You see me. And you don't want me to be your Messiah. He says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. And that's the problem with man standing before God. We don't judge with right judgment. That's why we never take a day off from following Christ because we don't judge with right judgment. Only Jesus does. And so then further down, the Jews tell on themselves, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Read down further. And they ask this question among themselves. Is this not the man whom they seek to kill? <laughs> Give him long enough and man will tell on himself. Here's a question for all of us to ponder today. You ready? How was Jesus able to speak so openly and nothing happened to him. How could he speak so openly and nothing happened? If they wanted to kill him, and he knew that, why didn't somebody take him out right there? 
because he was the one with kingdom authority. That's why. Can it be that the authorities really know that this is the Christ? This is their question. This is the world's question. Maybe they know he's the Christ. No, they just don't have the authority to arrest him. Not until the God appointed time. Take courage, take hope in this. Eat this up right here, church, because we need this. We need this to go out into the weak so that we will not be weak. Right here, here it is. Not until the God appointed time. For many people acknowledge Jesus, but reject his kingdom authority. And still today, many people acknowledge Jesus, but reject his kingdom authority. I have a great concern. Do you know why I feel like we're called to be here for a long time here at Valdosta? Because I have a heart for people like this, for people just like this. They acknowledge Jesus. They say nice things about Jesus, but they do not submit to the authority of Jesus. And I think these type of people are all among us, all among us. You may be one of them. You say really nice things about Jesus. You say really sweet prayers to Jesus. But when it comes to trusting Jesus, you reject his authority. So did many of these people. So Jesus proclaimed as he taught in the temple, you know me and you know where I come from, but I have come of my own accord. He who sent me is true and him you do not know. Translated, you do not know God. All of you who say that you know God in this temple, the problem is you don't know God. Our human opinion of Jesus does not change God's plan. Does not change God's plan. Whatever you think humanly of Jesus does not change who he is. But hopefully, as you think rightly upon Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, it changes who you are. It changes who I am. And that we'll trust him. I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. The word authority that's being used here in this chapter, the word literally means out of the original stuff. It comes from the same root as the word author. It's an author of a book. (laughs) Well, the author of the Bible is standing before them, and he's saying, I know him, for I come from him, and he sent me. What matters most is this statement right here. Because if it were not true, we could say with Paul, if in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. Pity us. If Jesus does not know the Father and did not come from the Father and was not sent from the Father, pity us because what we believe is foolishness. But indeed, it's not foolishness, it's true. And so that leads us to number three, trust in the one with kingdom authority by resting in God's will. And I want to close strongly with this point. His hour has not yet come. So they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him because his hour had not yet come. Don't you love the moments in scripture when God says, hey, come here, child. I'm going to pull back the curtain and I'm going to let you see behind the curtain going to let you see how I work. All these angry people around my son, but no one can lay a hand on him until I say it's time. Until I say it's time. Why? 
because there was an invisible restraint from above. An invisible restraint from above. As we sang earlier, who can stop the Lord Almighty? Everything is under the direct control of God. Then from there we sang, he will hold me fast. And that is exactly what God does. From the Old Testament, the demon-possessed Saul might hurl his javelin at David, but hurling it and killing him were two different things. Daniel might be cast into the den of lions, but as his time to die had not then come, their mouths were mysteriously sealed. The three Hebrews were cast into the fiery furnace, but of what avail were the flames against those protected by Jehovah? It was not the appointed time for them to die. No matter what man would do to them, until it is the appointed time, man does not die. Hebrews 9, 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. Many times we use this passage to say that, hey, judgment comes after death, and indeed it does. But don't miss the first part. It is appointed for man to die. Yes, once, but it's appointed for man to die. Who appoints this time? God does. Job 14, 5, a man who would understand death as his, all of his children were killed. He lost much of his possessions. Here's what we read in Job 14. Since his days are determined and the number of his months is with you and you have appointed his limits that he cannot pass. You cannot pass through the appointed time for your life. Neither can I. No one can outlive the appointed time that God has set on our lives. And Christ understood this. The crowd could be hostile, and they were, but they did not lay a hand on him. Did not mean he lived foolishly. He was wise. He escaped when he needed to escape. He got out of there when he needed to get out of there, but he knew until the appointed time, they would not take his life. With great sensitivity, I say this, we struggle with this appointed time. And we say things such as they were taking way before their time. But if we believe in the scriptures, we know that all of our time has been appointed by God. And God has never been undercut, never been defeated, never been outdone. He is in control of all things. This does not bring immediate comfort in a time of suffering. But nevertheless, we must continue to stand on this truth and trust in his kingdom authority that all things are under his control. If you're here today and you're thinking, how much longer does God have me on this earth? And I'm not just talking to those who are well up in age. I'm talking to those who may be young. God has an appointed time for your life. And that is not up to you. You must trust in him and continue to follow. And he loves you. He loves you. He's provided for you. How did he provide for you? Well, let's go back to Christ. Hebrews 9, 28. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. 
Christ gave his life at the appointed time. This means Christ went to the cross voluntarily. He was not bullied to the cross. He was not tempted to the cross. He was not trying to prove to man how tough he was. He willingly went to the cross, voluntarily went to the cross. John 10, 18 and 19, for this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. This charge, this charge, this charge I have received from my father, from my father. Why did he lay his life down? Because he loved the father. He trusted the father. He came to do the will of the father. That's not all. Why did he lay his life down? To bear your burdens and to pay for your sins. That's why he laid his life down. So that you could be set free of your sin, of your doubt, of your questioning of God, and that you could trust in his kingdom authority and knowing that he is good, that he has saved us for something much bigger, much bigger than an extended life on this earth. But he has saved us for all of eternity, forever. And ever, and ever, that's what he saved us for. Yeah, he makes our life better here, but he gives us life forever. So the next time we begin to argue with God about how he governs his creation, may we just confess that we doubt, that we struggle, that we have fears, but then may we ask that we will trust in his authority, that he is good. And that we're grateful that he laid down his life, not just to die, which was necessary for him to die, but to save, but to save. At the end of this passage, verse 31, yet many of the people believed in him. They said, when the Christ appears, will he do more signs than this man has done? Listen, there are many who believed and there are many who believe today. You're not all by yourself when it comes to this trusting and kingdom authority. And with this kingdom authority, the one who has kingdom authority has commissioned his church. Matthew 28, 18, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And what did he go and tell them? To go and make disciples, and to go baptize. The one with authority sends us out so I want to end with this. May we go out today with the authority of Jesus Christ. May we live with confidence and may we trust him. Even when we don't feel like trusting, may we by faith trust him. And know that he is the only one who could stand in a temple and preach good news and sinful man go, wow, he is so amazing. What is it about him? 
He's the only one who can allow us to see and know that he is the Christ. Today, do you trust that he is the Christ? Today, will you follow Jesus? Not just acknowledging that he's God's son, but that he is the one with true kingdom authority, the one who had the authority to lay his life down to purchase you at the cross so that you could live. Will you place your faith and trust in Jesus today? Where you're sitting, would you just call out to the Lord and say, save me. Save me, a wretched sinner in need of a Savior who is good. Will you call upon him today? Church, if you've, as you've called upon him, maybe you're lacking in trust. Maybe you're struggling in an area in your life. Would you confess that today and be healed? So that you too can go forth from this place trusting in Jesus once again. Trust in the one with kingdom authority by receiving God's word today. Trust in the one with kingdom authority by relying on God's word. I'm relying on his work. And trust in the one with kingdom authority by resting in God's will. We know that he has an appointed time for us to be here on this earth. As he had an appointed time for his son. And we also know that there's an appointed time when Christ will return. And it is okay for us to be eager and ready for Christ to return. But in our eagerness, in our waiting, may we go and tell people about the one with the true kingdom authority, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word this morning. As I've read this passage over and over and over again, Lord, I find myself wishing that I could go to that crowd and just convince them that Jesus was the Christ. But I do not have the power to do that. And that time has passed, but Lord, I know that right now there are people around us who are not convinced. And we do not have the power to save them, but we have the powerful words to take to them that they may hear and believe and be saved by your grace. So may we as the church go forth with authority, with love, with great zeal. Tell people about Jesus and may we believe in Jesus this week. May we truly believe him. Wherever we find ourselves doubting, fearing, falling away, reveal it to us, Lord. Save us from those moments. God, that we may walk closely with Christ. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.